Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. Happy New Year, Sean. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. Absolutely, yeah. Happy New Year 2023. How's yours been? Has it been good? Do you know, this year's going great so far. <laughs> We are two, what, a day and a half in? Two days in nearly? <laughs> Did you have a good Christmas and New Year, um, though? Seriously, did you have a good one? I had a lovely time, thank you. Yeah, it was really, really nice. Didn't do a great deal. Um, you know, took the decision we were just going to have a, a real sort of family-orientated Christmas. Um, kept kept everything very low-key, low-level. We ventured out to see um, a couple of shows, the pantomime in Dublin at the Gaiety. We went to see uh, The Jungle Book and uh, went to see Beauty and the Beast and um, something else, which is very popular in Ireland. Um Anyone who sort of didn't grow up in Ireland won't really know what it is, but it's called The Toy Show, uh, and they've made a musical of it. Now, The Toy Show is on um, The Late Late Show over here, and it's kind of the symbolic start of Christmas, and they've, they've made a musical version of it, and it was absolutely epic, and uh, it was brilliant. But, yeah, I had a lovely time. What about you? What did you get up to? Yeah, it's been good, actually. Do you know, I, I, I've had a little break, which has been quite nice, and, um, yeah, a few days off before Christmas lovely christmas and then we went between christmas and new year went over to center parks in cumbria with my um with my partner our little girl my youngest son and his girlfriend um who's lovely which i'm obliged to say because her mum listens to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but no she is and we had a really good time it was a, it was a nice break to be honest just what i needed because i've been busy busy this last year so yeah it was good it's been a nice little break and now dry january as i do every year and um yeah, a few goals set and, and different different things coming up. I've got a marathon in May, so I've got to get a bit of weight off and get fitter again. And 
Yeah, all systems oh, go I think now. you mentioned that on an earlier episode, mm. a marathon. Yeah, never done a marathon. Yeah, it's like, that's, mm. that's a serious commitment. Yeah, to, do you know... I've, Are you regretting it yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've done half marathons. I've done half marathons, and I have I signed up for, I think, about four marathons and never reached the start line. I've always got injured before I got to the start line. So it's just sort of never, ever happened. Um, and... I swore off doing them. I was like, look, I'm never going to get to the start line in one, so I'm not even going to bother entering anymore. That's it. I'm done. And then they announced the Rob Burrow Marathon in Leeds. And I know Rob a little bit. We've we've met each other several times. He's an amazing guy. And it's incredibly sad what's happened to him with, with motor neurons disease. So I sort of felt completely obliged to enter it, really. So it's like, okay, entered that. And uh, then forgot about it for a few months. And now it's getting a bit real. So, yeah. It all starts now, really, um, which is a little bit worrying, but I'm sure we'll get there. So there you go. So that's, yeah, that's the, the focus going forward. That and this parachute jump, Sean. Yeah, do you know, I was hoping you weren't going to mention that. Mm. Well, jo- John yeah. rang me today, and I know he rang you as well. John McDonald, the uh, the MC, MC who is right now at the darts, he's got a couple of massive days. He's got the semifinals tonight and the final tomorrow of the World Darts Championships at Ali Pali. He took time out of his day-to-day to ring us both to remind us that we've agreed to do a parachute jump for the Future Pathway, uh, not-for-profit, organ- uh, incredible organisation, futurepathway.co.uk, if you've not seen what they do. Um, but that's in March, and uh, that's jumping out of the plane, Sean. How are you feeling? <laughs> are, are we actually going to do this? Well, this, isn't, this isn't something we can like agree to and then not do it. Are we actually going to jump out of a plane? The problem we've got is... Let me, sorry, sorry. let me repeat that for anyone who's hard of hearing. Are we going to jump out of a plane? Yeah. The, I'm not big on flying, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm what cer- are you like at falling? Certainly not big on jumping out of one. Um, the problem we've got is John's one of the nicest men in the world. And we've sort of said we'll do it now. And it's for an amazing cause. So I don't think we can get out of it. Can we send body yeah. doubles? Do you think Peter Kay and Mr. Tumble would be up for it? <laughs> He's got the greatest name in the world for jumping out of a plane, doesn't he? <laughs> Mr. Tumble. Oh, Falling seriously. with style with Sean and Phil. Um, oh, I have to say, I, I, I echo everything you just said. Like, John, a great guy. I've been friends with him for many, many years. Got to know him when we started doing the Premier League on Sky Sports. Great MC. Uh, and, uh, you know, loved his company. Um, and got to know him really well, like yourself, over the years. He's become a really good friend. And one of those guys, when he asks you to do something, like, if you can do it, you'll do it. And uh, he would do the same, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot. Um He'd have already jumped out of the plane, I'm sure. So I'd rather he do it than me. But do you know what? Do you know what? Um, snooker dates permitting, I'm going to do it. Well, yeah, let's let's we will do this. We will jump out of a plane. Okay, it's on the I think it's the 26th of March. But anyway, put that one on hold because John is going to come on the podcast. We're going to get him on the podcast to talk about Future Pathway, which is the amazing not-for-profit organisation we're going to do it for. Um, and he will tell us all about what it's like to fall out of an aeroplane. Yeah, you're shaking your head. It. I'm shaking mine as well. I can't uh, quite believe yeah. we can do that, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's making me feel sick, if I'm <laughs> honest. It's, make, it's making me feel a little bit sick. Um, but, yeah, let's do it. 
We'll, we'll do. What's the worst that could happen? Well, we could we could fall out the plane and die. That's what that's the worst that could happen, Sean. <laughs> I hate to point out the obvious here. It happens. I feel like every I feel like everyone underneath me in the rankings, and there isn't that many these days. The way I'm going down the rankings, but everyone underneath me is egging us on to do it. They'll all go up a place. Well, I, I've got to say, if I'm falling out of an aeroplane, if anyone's underneath me, they're in big trouble. Yeah. Say, so Peter Devlin can't wait for you to do it. Oh wow! I can't believe you just gone there. To be honest, goodness me. Yeah, Peter, wow. he's doing it. You're in. Yeah. Okay. I, might take more than that. Anyway, right on the darts. Because a few people have flagged it up, actually. Did you watch the darts last night? I did watch the darts last night. I know exactly what you're going to say. Is that why you've got them headphones on? It, it is why I've got the headphones on. Gerwin Price. Now, someone, someone put on Twitter, is Gerwin Price listening to the 147 podcast? Which he certainly wasn't. But for anyone, for anyone that hasn't seen this, I don't know how you've avoided it, to be honest. Gerwin Price, uh, Welsh darts player, um, former champion, amazing darts player. Um, gets a lot of grief from the crowd, it's fair to say. He gets a, an awful lot of grief from the crowd. Um, started his match um, against Gabriel Clemens last night. Halfway through the match, decides to put ear defenders on. So he went for a break, came back. He's got ear defenders on, these like, massive ear defenders, to block out the crowd noise. And then he's waving to the crowd, sort of beckoning them on, as if they can't hear you anyway, say what you like. Where do you stand on that? That's weird. Yeah, I, I, I mean... If you've if you've got a problem with the crowd and, and the crowd are getting on your back, um, you know, really the only thing to do is just to play your way through it. And you know, if you play well enough, and to, you can actually turn these things round. But you know, I, I've never played darts on a, on stage like that with thousands of people shouting at you and screaming abuse at you and stuff. So I'd be very sort of wary of judging him. He's up there. Uh, he's up there. Um, he's got to deal with it and of course he's not the only he's not the first player to do it I think Mervyn King did it many many years ago he was the first player to wear earbuds uh, and trying to block out some of the crowd or some of the negativity you're never sure whether it's you know you're trying to block out negative comments and criticisms and stuff that's putting you off or or is it you're just trying to block out the crowd noise in general I think if you have a problem with crowd noise um, the PDC is probably the wrong place for you to apply your trade um, but um the problem you've got is that, like, in, in my opinion, it, you know, it's he, he's just put a big target on his back now, and and in future, anyone who's not not on his side when they go to these venues, they're just going to be um, they're just going to be you know hurling it at him even more. But you know, he's I think he's pretty thick skinned, um, you know, and he's a champion. Like, you know, you can't take it away from him. I think he's I think he might go down the rankings a little bit this week, but I think at the time of recording, he's world number one. Um, so he certainly knows which end of the dart to hold. Uh, he doesn't need any advice from us. But um, it was a strange way of working and a, of doing it. And of course, it didn't work. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, his, his opponent played brilliantly and uh, looked like he fully deserved the win. Yeah, he certainly did, and he did deserve the win. Yeah, he was, um, you know, superb, absolutely superb last night. I, I think you're right. I think he's put a massive target on his back. Um, the darts. Very, very different to the snooker. Some, you know, some people say, oh, yeah, the shootout's like, it's, it's not, okay? The shootout gets quite noisy at times. It's nothing like the darts. I've, I've filled in for John at the darts a few times um, on the PDC circuit, and I did the ITV Masters up in Edinburgh. I think it was the first darts I ever did, actually. And James Wade was on stage, and he was getting serious abuse from the crowd, and I mean serious abuse, Um to the point that he got a couple of people thrown out of the out of the arena, it was that bad. And um, it, 
I think he turned it round. He was he was like three one down. He ended up winning five three or five four something like that. But he came off, and chatting to him afterwards in the bar, he was in a real state. You know, he was he was properly upset with with what had gone on, with what had happened. Um, it's not just grief. You know, they're they're not just shouting at you. They they get quite nasty at times, I think, and and quite abusive. And yeah, it, it, I can see why he did it. But, like you say, I think he's put a massive target on his back for crowds in the future. But he's come out and said he might not even play the t- play that event again, which would be a real shame if true. I think he'll reflect on it and, and go back on that, to be honest. Um, I just can't yeah, see him not I, I playing think, the world. I, th- I, think you're, I think you're right. I think he will. I think he'll reflect on that and probably come out and say something else. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was a, an interesting um, an interesting thing to do, an interesting way of coping with it. Um but I think I think to some I think to some degree, um, I'm not saying that's just the way it is in sport, but crowds and dealing with crowds and getting through that and perhaps not being crowd favourite or being crowd favourite or whatever, that is part of sport. And um, well, I can only speak for my own, you know, but you know, so we've all sung things on the terraces, you know, at, at football grounds around the world and the country, and uh, it, ha- it happens week in, week out in the Premier League. Um, some of the abuse that's shouted out at players and referees, like it, it, it's not nice. Of course, it's not nice, but it kind of is the way it is, I suppose. Uh, and it's, you know, it's in, it's incredibly uh, unjust sometimes. And uh, I mean, even I said to someone on Twitter there the other day. I've been called some horrific things in play, you know, in the arena by members of the crowd. Um, now, said people didn't last very long in the crowd afterwards, and, and, and uh, um, you know they didn't, they didn't, they didn't come back. But um, I, I, it, it, it's, I think it's one of those things. It shouldn't be the way it is. Uh, you, you know, the, these athletes, these these players, these professionals, these sports people are putting themselves out there, you know, to entertain and obviously to make a living out of it, that there ought to be a little bit more decorum uh, and respect shown, I think. But, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, there isn't a great deal of that, um, uh, you know, um, amongst thousands of thousands of people who tend to be probably the slightly the wrong side of sober. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't think it'll change anytime soon, to be honest. Yeah, well, just uh, think, fingers crossed, Gerwin does does come back because he's a, an amazingly talented player. I mean, he um, you know he's in the quarterfinals of the World Championships last night. For goodness' sake, if he doesn't play in the World Championships, it will leave a, a big a big hole in them. So I'm sure that he will. I'm sure he will. Um, right, moving on. Um, there's been not so much updates as such, but in the suspensions that have happened on the World Snooker Tour by the WPBSA. Um, Jason Ferguson's done an interview with Phil Haig in the Metro this last week. Um, and he's responded to your call for lifetime bans for any player um, caught up in match fixing. A direct quote from Jason Ferguson. Uh, lifetime bans do not stand up in law, quite frankly. I get Sean's statement, and I understand why he's so passionate about it, because I feel very strongly about it as well, especially as a former player. Every ball you pop must mean something, but we do know from legal advice that lifetime bans do not stack up in court. It's completely challengeable. We have in our rules that players may receive up to a lifetime ban if found guilty of match-fixing or manipulating results, but there has to be a range. If you take, for example, a player who's a serial match-fixer and just keeps doing it, that's at the high level. 
If you've got some young kid with a gun to his head or a gun to his family's head, they've crossed the line once. Is that the same as a serial fixer? These are the things that any responsible tribunal will take into account. Um, big words there, and quite similar to what, what I said on the last podcast, Sean. How, where do you stand? Yeah, I, I, I get it. And, of course, this is this is why there aren't lifetime bans, isn't it? This is why people who cheat and who lose matches on purpose um, get the chance to come back because it is challengeable in court. Um you know, I did I did caveat my comments and my quotes beforehand on our last episode and in the studios and in press conferences with if it were up to me, um, which of course it isn't. Uh, and uh, you know, these the, this is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? This is what this is where um, decisions get made and the reasons why such decisions get made uh, starts to come to light. You know, of course, if a player is banned for life, that player then has the right to challenge. Uh, and and any um, any punishment that's handed out by any governing body in any sport or tribunal in employment or whatever has to fit the crime, and um, that's that's the way it is. Uh, and it has to be seen as you know somebody I suppose has to be seen to be able to accept they were in the wrong, um, serve their crime, pay a fine, uh, and get the chance to come back. And uh, that's 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 the way you know the, the legalities of it uh, work. I don't agree with it. I think I've made that clear. Yep. Um, uh, but I think Jason, to some degree, is tied. His hands will be tied by the constitution of the WPBSA, and ultimately the advice from WST or WPBSA's legal, you know, counsel, who who will be going. You know, uh, there are precedents and things, and naming cases and quoting court cases, and these are the outcomes. This is the world we're in now. You know, this isn't just somebody breaking a rule somewhere. Um, this is very, very serious. We're very positive as well to read in Jason uh, Jason's article there um, that um, you know they feel as if um, that you know they're really cracking on with the investigation and they're they're really getting towards the. It reads as if it comes across as if they're saying that he's, he feels as if they're coming towards you know a resolution, not necessarily the end, but you know they're really getting through it at pace. Um, and uh, you know it's great to great to hear that this is something as I said as I said before no one's coming out of this covered in glory um, and uh, these players who've been suspended and I think another player has been suspended since we last recorded Chelsea fan was suspended making that eight now yeah that's right um, they they could all be innocent like you know they this could all be this could all be um, a mistake and so governing bodies like WPBSA and others around the world in other sports they have to tread very carefully because it's all right it is all well and good for me to sit here and say um, ah, all cheats should be uh, banned for life um, but you know there is a bit more to it than that I I, I do get that I do see that completely. Uh, and uh, as I've said before a number of times, my absolute hope and still my primary position is that these players come out of it unscathed and, you know, with a clean slate and, and, and are completely innocent. Um, but whatever way it does get resolved, I hope for the game's reputation and everyone involved that I hope it, it's resolved uh, quickly. And, uh, you know, these players, if they are innocent, of course, they can get back to playing snooker and, you know, they're, they're missing out on tournaments. So uh, the quicker it can be resolved, I think the better for, for all concerned. Agree 100%. And, and I will just echo what I said on the last podcast as well. With those words from Jason Ferguson, um, I think he's handling himself and, and this very, very well from, from everything that I can see in the media and the statements that he's making. Like you say, it sounds like it's moving at pace which I think is, has got to be a good thing. You know, it's, it's got to be handled quickly and efficiently. And 
it appears to be that way. There are rumours tonight that Liang Wenbo has retired from snooker. Now, whether that would mean he avoids any investigation, um, you know, we, we obviously we can't legally talk about individuals um, and, and that kind of thing, and we don't know exactly what's gone on at all. We don't know anything that's gone on, to be honest. Um, but yeah, there's, there's rumours that Liang Wenbo has retired from snooker. If that's the case, then I don't quite know what implications that has, but um, I think it maybe says something. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that. That's that's news to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think I'd be speaking out of school, Phil, to say that if he'd retired from snooker, I don't think anyone in snooker would be that bothered. Um, <laughs> I think uh, you know he's, he's already shown himself before this scandal. Um, you know he was convicted of some very very uh, nasty things. Um, you know in the public courts he was convicted um, of things that were very unsavoury. And I don't really want to go into them. Don't want to give them any airtime. But uh, he's shown himself to be what type of man he is. And um, if he has retired, good riddance. Fair enough. Fair fair words indeed. I would suggest. Right, we'll leave that one at that and we shall see how it unfolds but snooker returns this sunday with the start of the kazoo masters at ali pali and i'll be there i will be there for the start of the masters this year i will be there to watch you sean murphy taking on neil robertson on sunday afternoon in ali pali that's great fabulous what's what's bringing you down there other than you know supporting your best mate well i've got yeah i've got the face paint ready for the aussie flag um <laughs> <laughs> Well, green, what's green and yellow thing, clothes. What's that thing they all eat? What, what's that thing they eat down under? Not Marmite. What is it they all Vegemite. eat? Um, Vegemite. 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 I'm going to bring some Vegemite down. I'm going to have a barbie going on outside. Goodness. Throw a few shrimps on it. Oh, I'm, I'm all, uh, you know, Team Rob all the way. <laughs> no, I'm coming down to watch it. That, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Never been to the Snooker Alley Pally. Never been to the Masters. Wow. And, and oh, it, well, you're it, in for a treat. Yeah. Well, it was on the bucket list to do. And I thought, I, I was going to go last year. It, it, I had it all planned and then it all fell apart because of... Um, different COVID going on things. Um, so this year I've managed to sort of wangle it that I'm going to be there for your match, which is great. So, um, yeah, I shall see you down there on Sunday. How are you feeling? How's the how's the game? Yeah, great. I'm really looking forward to it. I have to say, I was thinking about, you know, looking forward to it over Christmas. Um, uh, and, I've, uh, you know, and, and just, you know, really excited about it. I think Neil and I have played there twice, uh, both in finals. Uh, you know, it's one each. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our matches usually produce a very high standard. It's been said a lot, but it's true that, you know, pretty much every match at the Masters could be a final. Um, that's one of the cliches that gets thrown around, but it, but it, but it is true. Uh, and, um, you know, it has become, uh, I think, pretty much now established itself as, uh, well, it's certainly the premier invitation event. Um, I see there's an argument to be made the UK Champs is more important with it being a ranking event, but for my money, uh, the Masters is the second biggest tournament in our game now after the World Championships. And, um, you know, it, it really is an, a privilege to, to take part in it any year. Uh, you know, I remember being a young boy going to watch it as a 12, 13-year-old at the Conference Centre in Wembley uh, and to now be playing in it and have played in it the last, you know, quite a few years now. Um, is very, very special. So, uh, yeah, tough match, obviously. Tough starter. Uh, they don't come any more difficult than the defending champion. Um, you know, arguably the best player in the world, you know, at the moment when he when he wants to play well, when he decides to, you know, uh, put all these ducks in a row. Um, so I've got my hands full from the very first off. But uh, you know what? 
the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Absolutely. And, and just to make it even more difficult, Dave Hendon's tips you to win the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk about the, the commentator's curse before he's even started commentating. What's that all about? He's done you, isn't he? Oh, well, listen, I hope uh, I can only hope, Dave, that you've started the, the, the year off with a with a with a correct prediction. Um, yeah, very, uh, very nice to be tipped to, 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 to win it. And um, listen, I, you know, I hope he's right. Um, I, I've enjoyed listening. To, I really enjoyed listening to, um, you know, the, 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 the double podcast, the joint one that uh, Dave did with Phil and Nick um, when Snooker Scene and Talking Snooker got together. I enjoyed the reviews of the year Talking Snooker did. I enjoyed Dave's latest podcast. And, um, yeah, I was I was, I was was as surprised as anyone when, he, when Dave said that he thought I was going to win. But um, in all seriousness, like, you know, I can still play snooker, and um, I, I, my game has been trending in the right direction. Uh, and but for a few little silly, silly mistakes, um, you, you know, uh, I think I think uh, something good is round the corner for for my game. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be next week, uh, and I don't know if it's going to be this month. But you know, I'm in the World Grand Prix the week after the Masters. I haven't been in that for a couple of seasons. It feels like got a good chance of getting into the players and the tour champs and you know there's lots of snooker to be played before the world champs in in april and you know if i'm being serious about it for a second you know i'd like to think that you know a trophy isn't too far around the corner so i'm going there um quietly confident and and looking forward to play yeah and so you should as well i've got to say dave's um (laughs) dave's history on tipping mm, not the best it has to be said he's uh Dave, Dave's tips and picks generally aren't all that good. However, he does get the odd one right, so you never know. But you're right, your game's in good shape. I've been watching you, obviously, and it is in good shape. You know, like you say, by the odd hiccup. Um, I think they actually, on the, the Talking Snooker and Snooker Scene podcast, they mentioned that. I think, it, I'm not sure if it was Dave or, or Phil Haig or Nick, um, who said, you know, up until the, the black against Selby, you, you, were, you were playing some great snooker. You look back to your best. Um, and it was again. It was yeah. Dave that did you in that. Did you hear that? He'd put his notebook away. I did. He'd put his notebook away because he thought you'd won. He's he's done you there. That he's absolutely done you. So what? He, uh, do you know listen, what? It's, since we started this podcast, that's what it is. He's he's got it in for you, Sean. If he uh, if you can't put your notepad away and start putting your, your your bag away when I'm on the black right behind it and only need the black and the red off the spot, uh, when can you do it? Yeah, I mean, listen, that was a that was my mistake. It was my fault. I, I you know, and I was thrilled for Mark that he went on and won that tournament. Of course, the year that Mark's had and that's been well documented. Um, and but he was right. He shouldn't have been there, and uh, I had him beaten. And uh, and miss my chance. So that's something that you know, as a sports person, you have to take. You have to take those defeats on the chin. Um, you know, you come back from them stronger, better. And as I say, um, I'm not suggesting I'm going to win the Masters for any, you know, for 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 for, for any reason at all. But I've won it before, and um, my game's going in the right direction. And um, on my day, if I put four matches together somewhere near my best, I've got as good a chance as anyone. So there we go. So the moonwalk will be on Sunday, the 15th of January. It's Ali Pally. <laughs> right, now you mentioned it before. It is a cliche that, that the Masters, every game could be a final. Just just check out this first round, right? You've got Sunday 1pm, you against Neil Robertson. Okay, two former world champions, two players top of the game, etc, etc. Uh, 
in the evening, 7pm on Sunday, Mark Selby against Zhao Xintong. Former UK champion, German Masters champion against Mark Selby. I think we all know everything about Mark Selby. Um, on Monday, let's see who we got on Monday. Monday at 1pm, Ronnie O'Sullivan against Luca Brissell. Luca Brissell in amazing form. Ronnie O'Sullivan, world number one, obviously. In the evening on the Monday, John Higgins against Jack Lizowski. What a game that could be. John, if he's playing well, he's been his form's been in and out. Lizowski slightly in and out, but playing really well. Um, moving on to the Tuesday, 1pm, Mark Allen against Barry Hawkins. The Hawk is never, ever easy to beat at all. Um, in the evening, Mark Williams against Dave Gilbert. Dave Gilbert takes Yambing Tao's place, of course. Uh, Mark Williams against Dave Gilbert on the Tuesday. And then the Wednesday, 1pm, Judd Trump against Ryan Day. Ryan Day in great form this season. And then in the evening, Kyron Wilson against Stuart Bingham. What a first round that is. I mean, there's some amazing matches there. Incredible, isn't it? In- incredible uh, lineup, um, and yeah, I know we've said it two or three times already <laughs> on on the podcast so far. But every single one of those matches could be a final. Yeah, they're really good. And, um, you, yeah, ma- ma- massively looking forward to it. Everyone tells me how great the atmosphere is at Ali Pali for it, um, and yeah, I've seen it on TV. It always looks great. So yeah, chuffed to be going there. I will be there for your first game on Sunday, and uh, I shall catch up with you either before or afterwards. I am absolutely sure. Right, that is the last two weeks and the Masters that's coming up. In just a moment's time, we are going to have your rant, Sean. Okay, that's coming up just after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words, at 147pod. Now your rant last time got a few people talking on social media. I didn't know kids' films were were such a big thing, but apparently... Children's movies are, are quite big. Uh, Neil Robertson waded in, sticking up for Batman and Superman, rather upset with you for dissing DC Comics films, whatever they are. Um, and a few <laughs> other people said the same thing. But you also had a lot of support as well. You had, also had a lot of people, I think who backed you, you weren't really sure where the Batman films kind of sat in the whole DC thing. Um, but a lot of them saying, no, no, Marvel are just, just miles ahead and, and DC needs to do something. So... Yeah, Robbo was a yeah, bit of an outlier there. You know, you know, no one on the planet's a bigger Superman fan than me. Um, so I felt bad 
dissing that film myself. You know, I, I think if it were anyone else ranting about it, I would have come out in defence of it as well. But there is no real debate about it. The Marvel films are by far and away in a different league to most of the DC films. And it's just such a shame because the DC characters have got, have got it all to play for. But listen... Don't shoot the messenger. You know, I'm just the I'm just the conduit for this information. <laughs> I'm, do you know what I'm looking forward to is Neil Robertson uh, getting introduced out by Rob Walker on Sunday afternoon in Ali Pali, coming to the table, putting his cue case down, opening it up, looking across at you and going, "Why do you say that about Batman? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you say that for? What's wrong with Superman?" <laughs> no, listen. If he if if he comes out to the Superman theme tune, I'm going. <laughs> oh, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's the thunder from down under. Fantastic. That that Rob should just introduce him like that, actually. Anyway, it is time for your rant, Mr. Murphy. You will have one minute and 47 seconds from when I say rant until you hear the klaxon. Are you ready? I'm ready. Sean Murphy, three, two, one, rant. Okay, well... This episode's rant is quite a serious one. We've had a bit of fun in some of the previous episodes about topics that aren't particularly important. I'll give you that. Um, But this one is, we've all just been through two or three years of hell with the pandemic spreading through the world like wildfire. We all had to stay in our homes. We've had to wear masks. We couldn't see loved ones. We couldn't go out. We couldn't do anything. When snooker returned, it was behind closed doors. And one of the biggest things we were all taught was about hygiene. One of the biggest things that was pumped through to us was about washing your hands, keeping things clean. And, you know, the amount of people I see who just do not wash their hands is absolutely terrifying these days. Don't want to get too graphic about it. But, like, most times you go into the gents' toilets, and you know, it could be at airports or hotels or wherever it might be, bars or restaurants, whatever. So many people I see going into these toilets, they go in, they do their thing, and they just leave. I've started pulling people about it now. Go, oh, no, you're not going to wash your hands, no? No hand washing for you today? No, right, okay. No, allergic to water and soap. Right, okay, yeah, nice one. You know, no wonder these things, these viruses spread like they do. Some people's hygiene is just off the scale. It's just so bad. Wash your hands. When you go into someone's house, wash your hands. Take your shoes off. It's unbelievable. You see children playing with wheels of suitcases and touching things and licking trolley handles and doors and all sorts. Leave them alone. Right, just just a second. Now, I you don't tell me what your rant is before the podcast, okay? Um, and it, it's fair to say, as you said, it's not normally that serious. Sorry, children licking doors and trolley handles. <laughs> What's that all about? Unbelievable. I saw a child today in the shops walking behind and licking the, the trolley handle. Uh, that's grim. That's grim. really grim, yeah. That's horrible. Grim. Right. I'm going to back you on this. You're right. You're absolutely right. Do you know, I was in a, a motorway services um, a few months ago. I was in the toilets and I'm, I was just going to wash my hands. And this guy walked in, right, talking on his mobile phone as he walked into the toilet, holding the mobile phone to his ear, talking on his mobile phone. He went to the urinal. He, he did what he needed to do at the urinal. He put it away. 
and he left, still talking on his mobile phone. Still talking on his phone. That's He's actually had a chat to someone while he's having a wee. What's that all about? I mean, that's just wrong. So he's, he's not only done that, he's then left without washing his hands or anything. Ah, it's disgusting. There's, there's no excuse for it, is there? There's no excuse at all. I just find it, but you know, you could go further with these things, and you know, why aren't you know what? Why in any you know hotels or places, you know, why are any of the surfaces that you have to touch not automatic? Why do you have to touch a door handle or uh, a soap dispenser? These all these things should be completely contactless these days. You know, the technology's there. These places have got the finance to do it. Airports. I don't want to touch the door. I don't want to push that button. You know, and unfortunately, people are in and out of these places. That's why things spread the way they do. It spreads like wildfire. I don't want to touch that door handle after someone who's, you know, done their business and then not washed their hands and touched it. I, you know, I'll stand and wait ages until someone else comes in. I just don't want to touch it. Nice. Now, I can hear people screaming at me saying, uh, well, you know, back in our day, it was good for you. And, you, you know, you need a bit of dirt in your life on. and you need a bit of this. But come on. No, not lads. like that. We've just been through a pandemic, not just a bit of illness, a global pandemic. You know, when, when that all first came out and they're like, oh, you know, if you go to toilet, you've got to wash your hands. I thought, who's not doing that anyway? Who, Who isn't doing do that? that anyway? Who doesn't wash their hands? What, what normal, right-minded, actual human being, you know, the kind of people that remember to breathe and can do shoelaces and stuff, what... Who of those don't wash their hands with them into the loo? It's just completely and utterly wrong. If you are one of those people, oh, seriously, tune out, because that's just wrong. He's go wash your hands, go do something, but that is, it's just not right at all. So I am completely with you. Just just on that, you know, on the, um, when Snooker first came back, this thing of elbow bumping happened. Do you remember this? Yeah. Instead of shaking hands or fist bumping, elbow bumping became a thing, right? Yeah. Now, COVID was spread by, by breath, by molecules or whatever from your, from your breath. If you bump elbows with someone, your face is significantly closer to theirs than if you shake hands or fist bump them. So elbow bumping was complete and utter nonsense. You were like two foot closer than you had to be. A fist bump, the outside of your hand, far safer. But there you go, that's just a little gripe of mine. It's not a rant, just a gripe. So I, I don't believe anyone on social media can disagree with your rant this week, okay? This has got to be the first time ever... A rant is universally supported. No one can back people that don't wash their hands after they've been to the toilet, surely. No one can back that. Well, I challenge I challenge anyone out there... Let us to know. Su- to, ...to support going to the toilet and then not washing their hands. Let us know. At 147pod on all social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at 147pod, the words, let us know what you think. Please, just tell us he's right. Just tell us you wash your hands after you've been to the loo. That is enough toilet talk for now, though, Sean. So let's move on to our listener questions. And I will begin with Tony Elias on Facebook. I collect memorabilia right back to the beginning of billiards. God, goodness me, that's older than bread. Um, Does Sean or any other players collect any? Uh, I have had a little bit over the, you know, over my career. Uh, I remember as a kid, we had, uh, you know, little, um, they were little um, cards, little cigarette cards that were very collectible from the 30s and 40s, a uh, set of Tom Newman uh, uh, cards, the collectible things, and um, I've still got them to this day. Uh, 
I would have picked up the odd little piece of memorabilia uh, over over my career. But there's been a few people. That, there's a there's a dear friend of mine um, who is the head of the uh, WPBSA uh, coaching scheme, Chris Lovell. Yeah. Um, who has just an absolute labyrinth of collectibles, um, the like of which hasn't been matched by many people. Um, few people are, you know, have have had uh, collections, uh, you know, as good as his. Uh, Roger Lee was uh, always very well known. He had the, what was called the Heritage Room. Uh, that was at the Crucible every year. Phenomenal collection of pieces going back um, as far back as I'm sure some of Tony's pieces that he's got. Um, great collection of stuff. Uh, and, of course, very well-known Dominic Dale. Uh, it was a big collector of cues uh, and I think certain pieces of memorabilia over the course of his career. But um, it's actually, it's you know, you get into this world, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to get out of, you know, and you soon run out of space. I know Stuart Bingham's got an amazing snooker room, hasn't he? He's got all sorts of things going on there. But have you got like when when you won the the worlds? I think you get a chance to like buy the table, don't you? Or the balls or, or whatever. Have you got any of that stuff or not? Uh, I, I don't have any of it from that particular tournament. No, I, I did get the opportunity to purchase the table, which you know, looking back, um, you know, I wish I'd done. Um, it was the first time I'd won any amount of significant money in my life. Um, you know, I didn't have any money at the time, was completely skinned, and uh, I got this big cheque, uh, and I think I was quoted about ten or £15,000 for that table, um, you know, which was, you know, a hefty chunk of the cheque I'd just uh, 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 taken at the time. So uh, I didn't, I lost out. I believe that table found its way into the Middle East somewhere. I think somebody out there wanted the table. Of course, it was the last embassy, so the table had some um, uh, history with it already. It was always going to be worth a few quit that table um i remember winning the masters and uh, my old manager brandon parker um boxed and uh, and preserved the, the the balls from that match i've still got those balls a bit of ticker tape uh, in there as well for, for for good keeping but um stuff like that's pretty cool the cloths or whatever there's a funny piece actually i'm pretty sure uh, good old len ganley the referee uh, back in the day was always one for um taking the bits and pieces from the world and stuff and i think one year the story goes that he promised somebody the the cloth from the 87 or 88 world final you know he said oh i'll make sure you get that cloth and you can give me a few quid for it or whatever and um of course there's a famous piece of footage and davis wins the tournament again and he empties an absolute magnum of champagne all over the cloth <laughs> completely <laughs> ruining langanley screaming no! brilliant <laughs> Fantastic. Do you know, it's funny, There's some people do collect stuff. I, I've never been one for collecting anything. Um, the I've got the odd thing. The first Boxing World Championship uh, bout I announced. I've got a glove signed by both boxers. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know. I don't know if other players do or not. I've not really heard of it. I, know, I think the odd one has got the table from when they won the Worlds and that kind of thing. But um, I'm, I'm sure Bingham will have. Um, I think that'll be what's in his snooker room. Um, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So anyway, let's move on. I certainly regret not buying it anyway. Just oh, to I can finish imagine, that story, yeah. I, I regret not buying it. I, if I could have my time back, I'd have spent the money and bought the table. That would have been yeah. special. Yeah, definitely. But like you say, it's, it's situations at the time, isn't it? You know, and if you had no money yeah. going into it, then, then why would you? You know, it makes sense. Uh, right, Scott Brookens from Facebook. Uh, he says, does Sean plan to go down the Ronnie and Willow route of having his own merchandise range? 
Um, yeah, good question, that. Um, very topical, because a lot of players are starting to bring out their own gear. Um, something I've thought about. Um, dabbled in it very early on in my career. Very, very early on. Whilst I don't know whether anyone else was doing it, Ronnie might have been doing a little bit of it. You had a bit of merch that went round to exhibitions, T-shirts and postcards and posters and stuff. Um, yeah, it's some. Do you know, I haven't really thought about it in a long time. Um, it feels as if uh, it feels as if that world is sort of not coming back. It, perhaps it never went anywhere, but um, there seems to be a bit more interest in merchandise um, than perhaps in previous years. So maybe it's something I'll look into. It, you know, you could do a queue with a white bit at each end and it could be the magician's magic wand. Oh, we need to patent that. Absolutely, you do. Yeah, definitely. We, we have, of course, got the one four seven mug, which is available online. Um, I will put a link up once again on social media. They've been selling like not so hot cakes. No, they've they've been doing all right. There's a few. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over Europe. They are all over Europe. I can tell you that much. Um, but yeah, we have got the mugs. But yeah, watch this space and see if see if Sean does. Okay, Derek Turner from Dublin on Facebook. Uh, why are you called the magician and who started calling you that? Well, it's funny this because this has come up quite a few times recently, this question. And I actually, I wouldn't say I got the answer wrong, but um, I got the answer wrong. And uh, it's, which is mad to say about your own nickname, isn't it? I thought that I'd started to get called the magician because I played a shot at the crucible. And someone shouted out as I walked back to my chair whilst the cue ball was still going around the table. Someone shouted out, that was magic, that. <laughs> and I thought that's where he'd come from but apparently I was chatting to Rob Walker about it at the UK Championships apparently he and I had a discussion about this uh, back in 2007 or 8 just as he'd started uh, being the MC at the, the Triple Crown events um, where I'd said to him that I, I wasn't happy with my current nickname at the time and I wanted to I wanted to change it and of course, what was, what you was know, your nickname? My old nickname was the Whiston Warrior. Wow. Because I lived in a town in Rotherham called Whiston at the time. Uh, you know, that I lived in that town for maybe two and a half years or three years. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want the nickname for, for, for the entirety of my life. Like, you know, I didn't want it. So we had a chat about it. And uh, when Rob reminded me of that, uh, I, I remembered that we did have that conversation. And uh, he went, well, how about the magician? And I was like, hmm, I like that. And I had all these fancy ideas about, because uh, a, a dear friend of mine called Dave Penn, he's um, one of the best-known magicians in the country, he's been on Britain's Got Talent and all sorts, and he had a few props he was going to lend me for like the odd walk-in, uh, <laughs> and it, it, it never happened. Doing magic um, on your way to the table, that would be brilliant. Well, I, I made the fatal mistake of mentioning one of them to, to, to one of the tournament directors who completely poo-pooed it straight away. Um, David had this little element that you can put into like a block of chalk. And when you go to chalk your cue, it sets on fire. Wow. It sort of flames up and disappears straight away. It's like, a, you know, brilliant, like, you know, uses it in card tricks and all sorts. Uh, but I got, I got, someone said no because of, you know, fire regulations. Imagine setting the fire, imagine setting the water system off at the crucible. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, all you need to do is just come down to the table and, and just saw Desislava Bojilova in half. That would be amazing, that. Just cut the referee in half when you come to the table. You only get one chance at tricks like that. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, a bit like jumping out of an aeroplane, really, isn't it? Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> We're back to that. Oh, no. Let's move on, Sean. 
Oh, goodness. Right, Jonathan Wallace here on Facebook. Loving the podcast, guys, here in Toronto, Canada. Nice. We've gone fully international. We have. Um, Why don't many professionals use magnetic chalk holders in tournaments? I'd be lost without mine. Keep up the good work. John, from the Canadian Q Sports Academy. Uh, Before before we answer that, can I just say, John, thank you. What a lovely message. Um, And hello in Toronto, Canada. Um, yeah, it's nice nice to know you're listening over there. So go on. Magnetic. Have you ever been to Canada? No. I've, I've always wanted to go to Canada. Amazing country. Absolutely amazing country. I almost moved there once, but that's another story for another day. Goodness. You can't just say that and then well, leave it. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. It's a long one. Goodness <laughs> me. Uh, yeah. Um, it's so bad, this, because... John, John's written in such a nice message, uh, and I don't want to be too harsh, John, because it, you know I don't want to do it. But you know you are who you are, aren't you? And I, I can't deny my DNA. Um, anyone who plays golf will know that uh, you know there are similar similarities between uh, magnetic chalk holders and iron head covers. You just can't use them and be taken seriously, I'm afraid. Um, uh, in my old club, there used to be a guy who walked around with a magnetic chalk holder, and you know it was just the bane of our life because you just hear it clicking every time he put it down, click, click. And it was just the worst noise of all time. So, uh, no, uh, I'm afraid. Um, this is uh, along with that, uh, and there's some very well-known players who do this. Uh, Mark Selby's one of them. Um, Pretty much every snooker outfit he wears will have pockets on, be it in the waistcoat or trousers, and yet he insists on wearing a chalk pouch. Martin Gould, another one. Rory McLeod, another one. Um, it's just it's just ridiculous. You've got pockets, boys. Put your chalk in the pocket. That's what it's for. It, it, Joe it, Davis will be turning in his grave. I can't believe John Jonathan's written us such a lovely email like that. And you've just gone and battered him. Okay, well... Anyway, I, we won't be going to Canada anytime soon. No, we won't. Soon. I get the feeling that magnetic chalk holders, are, they're like the modern-day equivalent of people that used to have mobile phones on their belt. <laughs> you know, the clips exactly on the belt. what it is. It's the, the hipster, same thing, isn't it? The hipster. Just on another, uh, on another point, do you know what Toronto used to be called before it was called Toronto? <laughs> Go on. It was named after the best city in the world. Toronto was originally called York. And there's areas of Toronto with the same names as the areas in York, the different suburbs in York. Absolute true fact that Toronto is originally called York because it is, of course, the greatest city on earth. Right. Kieran McGinn. We can't move on. I've got to tell you this story while it's come into my head. I've got to tell you this story. You reminded me about the with the the phone uh, holders. Um, I mentioned him already in the podcast, but my old manager, Brandon, uh, Brandon Parker, uh, I feel bad telling this story because he's not here to defend himself. Um, <laughs> no, you don't. But I'm going to I'm going to tell it nonetheless. Uh, he, he was a late converter to the iPhone. Uh, but before that uh, and after that, he had a um, phone holder that would go on his uh, belt clip, you know, would go on his belt uh, and he wore it everywhere. Didn't matter what he was wearing. Didn't matter where he was, suit, jeans down the pub, shorts on holiday. Don't think I ever saw it 
on his um, speedos. He had these leopard print speedos. Uh, don't, don't think I ever saw it on there. But the one thing about it that was funny was he, he would lose. He would go through probably half a dozen a season. He would lose these pouches all over the world. It used to drive him insane. He'd lose one in China, then he'd lose one in Thailand, he'd lose one in Manchester, he'd lose one in London, and it used to drive him wild because he didn't know how he kept losing them. You know, he was such a good keeper of his property. He knew where everything was, very particular. I never admitted to him that it was me. Oh, wow. I used to throw them. I used to bin them. <laughs> Everywhere we went, whenever I saw my opportunity and his little pouch holder was on the side, bin, out the window, throw it in the skip, gone. Wow. Do you know Sorry, what? Brandon. If he was still here, I bet you wouldn't have told that story, would you? Never. No chance. <laughs> Never. Anyway, let's move on then. So Kieran McGeehan on Facebook. Are the tables we see at events, just for those events, do they get transported around well? Yeah, as we've just said, I think when you win the world, you get the opportunity to buy the table. But other than that, yeah, the, the tables get built and, and deconstructed at each event. They're, they're recovered during events, um, but they get they get built. It's amazing. The, the work that goes on behind the scenes that people don't see, isn't it, Sean, really? You know, we, we see how quickly they, they put these things up and take these things down. But I think the table fitters in particular do an incredible job. Yeah, incredible. And of course, there's always a lot of criticism thrown at the table fitters if and when the tables don't play, you know, as the professional players expect them to play. Of course, the table fitter can just put the table together uh, and, and deal with the equipment that they're given. You know, the roll of cloth comes from the factory. They, they cut it. They put it. They put it on the table. The, the, the real job of the table fitter is to make sure the table's level. Um, everything after that is outside of their control and they, they get criticised terribly sometimes but I actually did some research for this question because I thought it was quite an interesting one there are 44 tables owned by World Snooker Tour and they're in circulation at all times split between their base in Belgium for continental European events uh, and uh, the rest of them are based at Bristol and um they get transported around, you know, wherever they need to be go, wherever they need to go. And of course, often we have tournaments that are back to back. So whilst we're playing a home nations event with four or five tables plus four four practice tables, um, another rigging team will be at another venue setting up for the tournament that's going to happen the following week. Meanwhile, another truck has been dispatched from Belgium uh, with six tables on, driving across the continent to Turkey, uh, and that's what happened last year. That truck then turns on its heels and goes somewhere else, and these tables are. In constantly move and i think they renew them i don't think they renew them every year but i think they certainly renew them every couple of years three years at a push um but they're kept in absolute perfect tip-top condition uh, and as i say i was surprised when i didn't think it was that many but 44 tables wow. in constant circulation because if you think about it you've got um obviously at, at most most events you'll have four tables at the start of an event you'll have four tables out out front being played on you'll have four or six practice tables out the back. Um, there's probably one in the queue zone somewhere as well. And if you've got back-to-back -back events, obviously there's, there's another event going on. Plus you then get other events, qualifiers and, and queue school and things like that, where there's tables needed for those. So yeah, I suppose that, yeah, 44 seems an awful lot of tables, doesn't it? When you actually think about it, I suppose it's not really. It's um, it's just what they need. But no, just, just the table fitters do, do an incredible job and, the amount of work they put in to make sure they are level and flat and, and play true and everything else is uh, 
is pretty astounding. So yeah, that's how it works. And there's the speed that they're particularly breaking it all down afterwards. You know, I'll do the post-match interviews for World Snooker Tour up in the media centre. I'll, I'll wander down, back down to the arena. And it's, what, half an hour after the event's finished. And everything started to come down. The cushions are off the table. You know, they're, they're probably taking the cloth off. The slate's coming down. The studio's being taken down. It, it's amazing how quickly they literally just all go to work on it. it it's quite a thing to see. So, yep, yeah, no, this is a, they are not just for those events. They do get transported around. Yeah, well, actually, one of the little uh, little games you can play, though, and it's, it's one of the best-kept secrets in the world. You know, you, you can keep your nuclear codes, all of these things. <laughs> these things that we think, you know, the codes to get in Area 51, if there is such a thing. You know, all of, the, all of those things pale into insignificance uh, compared to the secret I'm going to lay upon you now, Phil, which is, can you work out when the crucible goes from two tables to one table, which table that was? Oh, nobody knows. And if you ask somebody in the know, they go all funny and all clammy skin. Nobody wants to talk about it. So you can play this game uh, on, you know, when you've got nothing else to do and you've watched all of the paint in the house dry. Uh, when you've when you've run out of things to entertain yourself, when the when the crucible goes from two tables to one table, try and work out which table it was, because nobody will tell you and nobody knows how they choose it. If, if anyone was wondering whether professional snooker players have too much time on their hands, the answer is yes. <laughs> Tony, Tony Davies on Facebook. Quick question from Australia. Well, we'll decide whether it's a quick question, Tony. Uh, quick question from Australia. When you come to the table with the ball spread nicely, how many shots do you actually think about? Do you plan it or do you just see it as it unfolds? This is all related to how many shots ahead do you think? You know, this this um, old wives' tale, we're all three, four, five, six shots ahead at all times. It really does. It does vary, you know, from time to time. The first thing you always do when you come to the table, if the reds are spread nicely, is, you know, work out if there are any obstacles on the table, if there's packs of reds or reds on cushions. Will I need those balls to win the frame or are there enough points available in the open that I can just pick the reds off with colours and will I get across the line? That that obviously, you know, tells you whether you're going to have to play some cannons at some point, play some difficult shots. Other than that, you know, there's a lot of playing it uh, as you see it. Willie Thorne, you coined the phrase playing for areas. You're playing for areas of the table uh, where you're going to be on one, two, sometimes three different reds if things go wrong. Other than that, you know, you're always looking for little patterns of play. Have a look for that red that's at the back of the cluster of the pack. That's always a good red to split balls from. You know, trying to finish high on the black because from there you can go anywhere. High is always better than low. Little things like that, little templates. Um, but yeah, there's no real hard and fast rule about it. The, the best piece of advice is to play to the scoreboard. Have a quick look. Do I need to move anything hard here uh, before I get across the line? If not, leave the difficult shots and pop the simple ones. So there you go, Tony. Basically, Sean comes to the table. The balls are spread nicely. What he's thinking about is... Which table is it when it's the one table set up at the Crucible? Is it table one oh. or table two? All through his mind. <laughs> there you honestly, go. That, I honestly, actually, I've spent far too long <laughs> trying to work that out at the Crucible. I saw that question. I thought that was quite an interesting one, actually, because I've often wondered that myself. Because I know when I was a kid, my dad used to say, oh, these, these pro players, they're thinking six, seven, eight shots ahead. And I'm thinking, are they really? Because that seems an awfully long way. Anyway, next up. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. Well, possibly. David, David Mayer or Meyer. I hope I've got that right, David, on Twitter. Other than Dino Kane, 
Have either of us ever heard of any New Zealand players? I haven't. Great question. I Have haven't. You? No? Not personally. Well, I, I knew of one other, uh, and then I looked into it, and of course I knew the other as well. But the other player that I'd heard of was Chris McBreen. Now, he was a professional in the early 2000s, um, and he uh, played his last professional match. Didn't play many, but he played his last professional match in the uh, the fourth PTC event of 2011. He lost 4-3 to Kishin Harani. Um, and now... Well, according to the, 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 the information I could find on him, which may or may not be bang up to date, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll go as if it is. By random chance, Chris McBreen, all the way from New Zealand, now lives in Firth in Germany, where we used to have the Paul Hunter Classic and now the European Masters. Now, I, I don't know that he's turned up at any of these. I remember Chris. I'm oh. not sure that he um, turned up to these events. So perhaps he's n he's no longer there. But that's a strange twist of fate. So Chris McBreen would be one of them. The other one, um, now this is this is going way back when, uh, was a player called Clark McConaughey. And he was runner-up in the World Championships in 1932 and 1952, as well as a much decorated billiards Sorry, player. Sorry, well, just a second. He was, he was a runner-up in 32 and 52, 20 years apart. Yeah. Wow. You, you, you've not heard the best part of that stuff. Oh, go yeah. on. Um, in 1932, he lost to Joe Davis, 19 frames to 30. Oh, wow. And in 1952... Bearing in mind the rivalry between New Zealand and Australia, he lost to Australian professional and brother of Walter, Horace, Horace Lindrum. He lost uh, 49 frames to 94. What? Pick the bones out of that. Right, just a second. Was, was this the final that wasn't? Is that, is that the one? Am I thinking of the right one here? Was, wasn't that the one where there was a split, where there, a lot of players wouldn't play in the Worlds and... It was one. It was a, a crazy final. I've, I've got the feel. I've got a feeling that's the oh, one. Right. That could be that one. Um, Goodness, the, I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no. There, it was. It was a big, big story in snooker. I don't. I don't know all the facts. I'm. I'm not one of these people. I know there's other podcasts what were where you like, uh, in your early twenties. Then were you? Or <laughs> oh, wow, you've gone there. Um, no, no. There, there was a big, a big hoo ha. There's a lot of players refused to play in the world. I, it may be that year where effectively they had a, a two-player world championship. And they just played an absolutely massive game. What did you say the frame score was? Well, well I was going to say, I, I can't remember where I, where I heard it recently, but I heard a, a debate about matches playing when there was dead frames. Yes. Might have been something we spoke about, or it was on another podcast somewhere else. But um, this may, I mean, this type of score looks like it was, you know, the match may have well been over days before that, but they played the match on anyway. But um, yeah, 49 to 94. Clark McGonaghy lost to Horace Lindrum in 1952. He did. Now, now this this is right. It was played as one continual match, held, held over 145 frames. I just found it now. Um, he won, taking a 73-37 to 37 lead early on the 10th day of the final. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. He eventually won 94-49. So he won at 73-37, to 37, but they right. carried on to 94-49. It was, it was contractual. Um, and I know a lot of players just, just wouldn't play in it for, for whatever reason. Most players would do. Here we go. Due to a dispute between the, the Professional Billiards Players Association, the PBPA, 
and the organisers for the event, the BACC, most players withdrew. Uh, the BACC thought the championship was primarily about honour and financial considerations should come second, while the PBPA disagreed. Um, they went on to create the World Professional Match Play Championship where the remaining players would take part. Um, but only two players took part in the World Championships that year. So that was that year. They played days of dead frames, not just the odd dead frame. They played days of them. And it was crazy. But yeah, well, the, Horace the only won. thing I've ever heard, the, the, only, the only thing I've ever heard in the modern day that comes anywhere near that, I'm sure you know this story, but there'll be somebody listening who's never heard this. In 1989... Steve Davis beat a very fresh-faced John Parrott 18 frames to three with a session to spare in the final of the World Championship. Wow. Panicking, WPBSA with Embassy had no, no snooker to show that night. The, 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 no session to no session to show on the on the on the on the the, the bank holiday Monday when the trophy is normally presented. No snooker, so they pr- approached Steve and John. And said, "Listen, um, sorry, John. I, I know you, Steve. You know, Steve, you want to go and celebrate. John, you obviously want to get back to Liverpool Sharpie Show. Um, any chance we could get you to stay on and play a best of nine exhibition for, you know, the ticket people, everyone who's bought tickets. And I'm not sure if it was ever broadcast, but everyone's turned up for the final night, the gala night. The match is finished. John and Steve agreed." Bearing in mind Steve's beat John at night 18 frames to three. Wow. Agreed to go out and play the match. Best of nine. Steve beat him 5 0. <laughs> That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So there you go. That is, uh, Sean's giving you a good potted history of New Zealand players. We're going to have to call a halt to the listener questions there and move on to our pointless question. If you do have a question for us, it doesn't have to be on snooker, it can be on anything at all. Get on our social media at 147pod everywhere on social media. But for now, we move on to our regular pointless question. Now, you don't know what this one is, Sean. So this is a, this is a surprise to you. Sean, would you rather your entire body be covered in fur or scales? <laughs> You have to choose one or the other, fur or scales, and why? You've been inside far too much over Christmas. Yeah, I have, you yeah. need to go out and meet other humans. Says the man that can't decide whether it's table one or table two, the keeper of the crucible. Listen, now I've now I've pointed that out. That's your life finished. <laughs> you, that, forget about who wins and the crucible curse and this that. All you're going to be fixated on at the World Championships this year is trying to work out which table that was. Was it table one? Was it table two? Was it the top half? Was it the bottom half? That's all you're going to see. You're not going to see anything else. Anyway. Sean, the, sorry, the last, the last Sunday in March, we're both jumping out of an aeroplane, so our lives are finished anyway, let's be honest. Oh, God. So go on then. Which would you rather, your whole body is covered in fur or your whole body is covered in scales? Oh, dear. Uh, I'm going to have to go for... Fur. Fur? Why fur? I just think it would cut down on clothes, wouldn't it? It would cut down on coats. It cut down on heating bills. Sure. And you could shave, you, you know, you could shave it, couldn't you? Yeah, you can't shave scales, can you? I I was thinking scales because I thought you're going to scare the heck out of people on the swimming pool, aren't you? You already do that, Phil. <laughs> That's very true, actually, I do, yeah. But I think fur because you can shave it off. 
is probably the only one. So what would you do? Fur or scales? What's what's your choice? You've got to choose one or the other. Anyway, that is the end of the 147 podcast for this week. Sean, good luck for Sunday. In fact, good luck for all of the Masters, not just for Sunday. Um, I will be there on Sunday cheering you on, of course. Go on, Neil. Cheering you on, of course. <laughs> You're not doing the pointless question again, Phil. That's you finished. <laughs> That's not me done, is it? Happy days. Great stuff. And uh, yeah, hopefully all will go well down in London. So, so good luck for Sunday, Sean. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was another 147 podcast. We will be back in a fortnight's time where we'll pick the bones out of the Masters, I am absolutely sure. Could be the day after Sean wins it. It could be the day after Sean wins the Masters and we all see him moonwalk to the table. But for now, that was the 147 podcast. Thank you very much for listening. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.